Now, last week we kind of introed the book of Philippians. This week we'll really start to get into the meat, as it were, of this uh, powerhouse of a little letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in a city called uh, Philippi. And Paul loved these people, as we saw last week, uh, deeply, deeply. Now, as we mentioned last week as well, this was perhaps the most unlikely church start in history. It started with uh, a wealthy businesswoman from Asia, uh, a young slave girl who was uh, demon-possessed before Paul cast the demon out in the name of Jesus, and a violent soldier. Like, that made up the launch team of the Philippi church, like the most unlikely launch team ever. And out of all the churches that Paul planted, he writes to none of them the way that he writes to the Philippian Christians. He just had a, a special bond with these men and these women. He loved them deeply, as we saw last week. We'll see again this week. He lived life with these people. He suffered with them. He partnered with them in advancing the kingdom of Jesus in a really hard city, which frankly probably was a lot like Asheville is now. Philippi was a melting pot of different cultures and religions and thought processes and philosophies. It was a very eclectic place, as Asheville is. It was a very pagan place. So the people would have been uh, spiritual, but they would have been, of course, far from God. And Paul is writing these people, these believers that he just loved intensely from a Roman prison cell to encourage these brothers and sisters that he loves so much. And so we're going to start in verse 7, so Philippians chapter 1. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, turn it on your device, head for Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 7. God willing, we'll get all the way through verse 18 this morning. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all. He's talking about the Christians in Philippi. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul is writing to these people and he, he's missing them and he's loving. He's like, guys, I, I love you. I love you. I miss you. I, I, I long for you. I, I yearn to be with you with the affection of Jesus. Now, now remember, this is coming from the Apostle Paul, who was a tough guy, right? This guy was a brutally violent man before he came to know Jesus. He endured a level of physical and emotional suffering that none of us in this room can even fathom. Paul was beaten. He was tortured relentlessly, almost from the moment that he became a follower of Jesus until the moment he was executed by the Roman government. And the guy never flinched. Right, Paul's a tough dude, he's a bad dude, but he, he loves these people deeply, and he tells us why. Go back to verse seven. He says, you guys have been partakers of grace in my imprisonment and the defense of the gospel. In other words, you, you guys never abandoned me. Now, a lot of people, believe it or not, turned their backs on Paul, especially as he sat in prison for years at a time. I heard one pastor uh, speculate that Paul may have spent more time in prison as a Christian than he spent out of a prison cell. People walked away from Paul. They abandoned Paul, but not these brothers, not these sisters in Philippi. They never did. They were a family together with Paul. 
They were a team advancing the kingdom of Jesus together. And from that, I want you to see this truth. I want you to see the power of authentic community. Like, like Paul, Paul didn't just sit in a church service for an hour with these people two or three times a month. Now, you, you, don't, you cannot develop this type of bond looking at the back of someone's head while you sing. Like Paul had lived life with these people. He had done ministry together in a hard and hostile place. I imagine that they had cried together, that they had celebrated together. As one of your pastors, allow me to just plead with you this morning. Now, if you're new here, this is your first time, I'm not speaking to you, but if you've been here for a few months, some of you have been here for a few years, let, let, me, let me just plead with you, please move beyond Sunday. Move beyond Sunday. There's more. Like get involved in a Bible study. Come check out a community group. Join a serve team. Get involved with some of our local par partners here in the city of Asheville. Commit to going on a short-term mission trip somewhere in America or even globally next year in 2020 with us. Just take a step. Begin to do life with the people that you actually worship with. You need this type of authentic community that Paul is describing here. Because this type of authentic community actually fuels a powerful walk with Jesus. It's powerful. And I need it, and the Apostle Paul needed it, and you need it as well. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And Paul is talking here about spiritual growth and maturity. And he's praying that over and for these believers in Philippi. Now, it's not, it's not lost on me. I hope it's not lost on you as you read this text that Paul sandwiches spiritual maturity between Christian community and what we're about to read about next, which is suffering. So, so Paul, Paul takes spiritual maturity and he sandwiches it between Christian community and suffering. There, there seems to be this this connection that Paul is writing about, not just in Philippians, but in other letters as well, where he's connecting us growing in Jesus, being tied to both being in Christian community and walking through the trials of fire in this life. Now, I, I don't know about you, um, but I expect for many of us, and I, I'll place myself in this boat, for many of us, I think when we walk through those trials in life, when we walk through those seasons, of pain and suffering that can sort of launch us into a crisis of faith. So maybe we don't necessarily question the existence of God, or maybe for some of you, you do. Uh, but I think for a lot of us, when we walk into the seasons of suffering or, or pain, oftentimes it's just kind of like, man, God, where are you? Where, where are you? Why, why are you allowing this into my life? Why am I, why am I suffering? Why is this happening? Why me? And some of you, I have no doubt, you are, you are there right now. You are in the trial. You're in the middle of the pain. You're in the middle of the suffering. 
You're in that crisis of faith. And what Paul is going to tell us is that God allows, and at times, this is, now this is hard for some of us to hear. God allows and sometimes even orchestrates seasons of crisis and pain into our lives, not to crush our faith, but almost paradoxically to increase our faith, to build our faith up. Now, that, that seems counterintuitive to us, but listen to me. God's economy doesn't function like our economy. Now, many of you already experientially know this to be true. For almost all of us, do we typically grow deeper in our walk with Jesus in times of ease or times of trial? Be honest. For most of us, almost without exception, the greatest times of spiritual growth in our lives the times where we've walked most closely with God, the times that we have felt his presence the most in real and tangible ways have come in the hard seasons of life, not the seasons of ease. See, God has a way of, of like tenderizing our hearts, of, of opening us to new spiritual realities and truths during seasons of pain. It's just the way it is. And we all walk in these seasons of trial, pain, and suffering. And Paul is going to help us understand how we should view those seasons of life in light of the gospel of Jesus. Let's jump back in verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Now, let's pause there. What is Paul referencing? What, is, what, is, what has happened to the apostle that he's referencing here? We know at this point he's back in prison, right? He just seemed to live there. He's back in prison, this time in a Roman prison. But Paul expounds on what he had actually been through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So I just want to read that to you. This will be on the screens for you. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. This killed many men. Paul survived it five times. He's a tough guy. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And this isn't stoned like people talk about in Asheville. This is like he, they, were, they were trying to execute him with big rocks. And they thought he was dead. That's why they stopped trying to crush his skull with these stones. He was, they tried to execute him. He survived that as well. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. The man had been through it, wouldn't you agree? And he was right in the middle of God's will. Now most of us, if we were in Paul's shoes, we would be wondering, is this really worth it? Is all of the pain, is all of the suffering, is all this Jesus stuff really worth the beating and the imprisonments? and the bloodshed, and the isolation, and loneliness. Let's pick back up. Verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, all of that terrible stuff, all of that suffering, all of that stuff has served to discourage me. It has caused me to question my faith. 
It has caused me to throw myself a pity party. Is that what Paul says? No. Listen to this. This is important. This is what he says. All of this has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul goes, my torture has served to advance the gospel. My suffering has been for the good of Jesus' kingdom. And then he says, I'm going to give you two ways that my suffering has been for the good of the kingdom. He says the first reason, the first way is that the whole imperial guard now knows about Jesus. Now, the imperial guard, if you don't know, they were essentially like the official bodyguards of the emperor. And so they would take charge of all the imperial prisoners. And so historically, this is what we know would happen. Paul would have been chained to a guard probably for six to eight hours at a time. And then there would be a shift change and another guard would be chained to the apostle Paul for the next six or eight hours. Now, I want you just to place yourself in the shoes of one of these guards for a moment. And you're chained to the apostle Paul for six to eight hours at a time, right? You'd be like a Bible scholar in a month, right? They had to just be like, okay, Paul, like Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus Okay, we we get it, like we, we believe, just stop talking about Jesus, right? And so Paul says, the whole imperial guard now knows about Jesus because of my suffering. And I'm okay with suffering in prison because I know some of these boys are gonna believe. Maybe some of them already had. And the kingdom of Jesus is going to explode in the city of Rome, which historically we know now is precisely what happened. By 351 AD, over half of the pagan Roman Empire professed Jesus as Lord. And Paul was the protagonist that kick-started that revolution from a prison cell in Rome. Paul goes, the whole imperial guard knows the gospel now, and so I embrace my chains. I embrace my suffering because it's advancing the kingdom of Jesus. But Paul goes, that's that's not all. That's not all. Not not only has my suffering served to advance the gospel among the imperial guard, my suffering has now even emboldened other believers to share Jesus without fear. So as, as these other believers watched the apostle Paul suffer well and refuse to flinch in his faith, it began to light a fire in their hearts. And then they begin to go, man, if, if Jesus is that real to Paul, if he can suffer that much and be joyful and happy for the namesake of Jesus, then I can open my mouth and trust Jesus with results. Even if I get beaten for it, even if I'm in prison, even if I'm killed, so be it. Jesus is worth it. See, Paul's suffering emboldened other believers to carry out the mission of Jesus. And isn't that the way it works? Have you ever watched a Christian suffer well? Just with their joy rooted in Jesus and not their circumstances and not their suffering and not their pain. Don't you, don't you just watch that and it just it begins to do something in your heart and your soul and you're like, man, I... I want that kind of faith. 
Like, I want that kind of relationship with Jesus where I treasure him above everything else in my life and he is so valuable to me that I don't even care about all this suffering and pain in my life. He is worth it. When you watch a believer suffer well for the sake of Jesus, it is inspiring, it is emboldening. You may have heard the story of uh, two German guys in their, in their 20s. They're German, so I can't pronounce their names. Not even gonna try. But 1732, they heard of uh, 3,000 slaves that were in the West Indies. And uh, they had a British slave owner who was an atheist. And so he would allow no pastors, no missionaries uh, to come in and, and share the gospel of Jesus with the slaves. And so these two guys were burdened for these 3,000 people who were living their entire lives without ever one time hearing the glorious good news that there's a God in heaven who loves them and gave himself for them. And they had no way to get over there because the owner would not let anybody in. And so what they did was they decided to sell themselves into slavery so that they could go over there and share the gospel of Jesus with them. And as they boarded the ship and waved goodbye to their families, the families that they knew they would never see again on this side of eternity, the last thing that the crowd recorded hearing from them was this quote. They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. In other words, Jesus is worth it. He is worth the pain. He is worth the trials. He is worth it all. And when we suffer well for Jesus, the world has no explanation for it. Like our, our, our suffering can be the most compelling sermon to the greatness and majesty of Jesus that people in our lives will ever see or hear. But I think that, that then begs the question, how could the apostle Paul see suffering as a good thing? Was he insane? Was he insane or had he actually discovered the key to happiness? the key to joy in all circumstances. See, I think Paul understood that trials, pain, suffering were just a part of life, and he learned how to embrace them. It reminds me of the uh, famous quote from English pastor C.H. Spurgeon. This will be on the screens for you. I love this. Listen to this. Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. What Spurgeon was saying there is, listen, I, I have learned, I have learned to love the pain that drives me deeper into Jesus, who is the rock of ages. As one pastor put it, Christians are a lot like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. And that was certainly the case for Paul. And here's what I want us to see here. Here's truth number two. Believer, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. And so many of us do that. We walk through a trial. We walk through struggle. We walk through confusion, through pain, through suffering. And oftentimes we end up just kind of thinking, man, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this to me, God? And if we're not careful, we become angry and embittered people. I want you to understand something. There is one person who has walked on the face of this planet who didn't deserve suffering, and he chose to walk into the furnace of suffering and death for you and me. We do not have a Savior who cannot empathize with us. We have a Savior who came to suffer with us and for us, to redeem us, 
And now we can suffer in hope and even in joy. Don't waste your pain, believer. Leverage your pain, leverage your suffering for greatness in God's kingdom as Paul did. Your pain, Christian, is not meaningless. Your suffering is not pointless. Some of you need to hear that this morning. If you will allow it, God will take the ashes of your suffering and he will paint a beautiful picture of his grace and his love in your life. One more truth that I need you to see here and then we'll move on. Truth number three, suffering might be the greatest gift you will ever receive. Now that may be a gift that you'd like to re-gift to your crazy uncle at Christmas time. Like, man, I don't want this one. You, say, you may say, Chris, man, that's, that's twisted. It's not. It's not at all. Not if you believe the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 who said, and we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, not the good things, not only the things that we like, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Believer, that means your trial, your pain, your suffering, the biggest disaster in your life, the thing that you think you will never recover from, the job you just lost, the boyfriend or girlfriend who just walked away, all the pain, every loss, every tear, God can redeem all of it for your good and his glory. Suffering can be a beautiful gift. Now, some of you know, a couple years ago, right after we had come to, Cheryl and I had come to New Life, uh, we found out that we were expecting our, our fourth child. And um, after the, the shock wore off, um, we, were, we were elated and we were excited and uh, we were picking out uh, names and uh, our kids were excited. We we're trying to figure out where we we're going to arrange the bedrooms and uh, Cheryl had been to one ultrasound and we went in for the second ultrasound and uh, we had all three of our kids there because they wanted to see their, their new little brother or sister and we went in there and the ultrasound tech was, could tell something, something wasn't quite right. And um, she said, I'm sorry, but there's, there's no heartbeat. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever felt quite, quite as emotionally crushed as I did in, in that moment as I was holding my wife's hand who was laying on the table crying, my two daughters who were crying beside me on a bench and trying to keep Judah from eating the crackers on the floor or whatever. He didn't know what was going on. It was devastating. But out of that, out of that loss, out of that pain, Cheryl and I now can walk with those who are suffering with the loss of a child in the womb and even empathize with those who are suffering other types of losses. God has taken something painful in our lives and he's transformed it into something useful and even good in his kingdom. And I just want you to know he can do that in your life as well. So let me, let me just ask you this morning, do, do you suffer well or do you suffer like everybody else in the world? Do you suffer well? Or do you just suffer like everybody else in the world? And let me just say, if, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God through Christ, I just wanna, I wanna say something to you. Now, I want you to understand, I'm, I'm saying this from a, a place of love, but if that's, if that's where you're at, your suffering and your pain is in vain. 
There's no purpose in your pain. Only Jesus can take brokenness and make it whole and good. And so if that's you this morning, if that's where you're at, that's, I want you to know that's, that's, my, prayer, that's my prayer for you. That today, this, this morning even, that you would, you would place your trust and your faith in Jesus. Friend, listen to me. Don't suffer in vain. You don't have to suffer in vain. You don't have to walk alone in your pain. Jesus will always leverage your trials for good if you're in him. Now I would imagine a lot of people in Paul's day would have looked at all his suffering and undoubtedly they would have thought, God, what in the world are you doing? God, what are you, what are you doing? Like, God, don't you know, this, like, this is your main guy. <laughs> He's planting churches all over the known world. He's writing most of the New Testament and he is rotting away in prison. Like, God, what, what are you doing? And the whole time God is going, got Paul right where I want him. I've got Paul right where I want him. He's lethal right now. I've got influential Roman guards chained to him 24 hours a day. And his courageous suffering is emboldening all the other churches to take the good news of Jesus even farther out into the world. God goes, listen, what looks like a disaster to you looks like perfection to me because I see the big picture that you can't yet see. One more thing I want you to see here and then we'll move on. This is just a thought I had as just kind of processing this text. And it was convicting for me, so I'm not, I'm not casting any stones, but I wonder if some of us don't suffer much for our faith in Jesus because we don't open our mouths much about Jesus. Look, whether the Apostle Paul was a free man in the street or he was in a dark, nasty prison, bloodied up, Paul was relentless in pointing people to their love and the hope that's found only in the God-man Jesus Christ. You say, Chris, man, I, I wouldn't even know what to say. Like to my neighbor, my coworker, my classmate, my relative that doesn't yet believe. Like I, I don't know how I would even answer their questions. I, if that's you, I would just say, good. Welcome to the club. I don't know what to say half the time either. <laughs> and it's, listen, it's, it's okay to say to someone, listen, I, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know to be true. There is a God in heaven who created you and who loves you deeply and he proved it by coming into this messed up world of ours to suffer and die to give you an abundant life now and in eternity. And listen, I know this God. Like I, I actually, like I know him. I read these ancient words and he speaks to me and I pray and things happen. Like I know this God and he's incredible and you can know him too. You don't have to have all the answers to say that to somebody. A famous pastor uh, once said, and I love this quote, he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Believer, you may be a good missionary, you may be a bad missionary, but understand this, you have been called to be a missionary. 
A missionary simply means, that word simply means one who carries the mission. One who carries the mission of Jesus. We must learn to open our mouths, not in a judgmental way, never in a judgmental way, but in a loving and winsome way and point people to Jesus. Friend, don't be afraid of awkwardness. Like our culture is so anti-discomfort. So afraid of an awkward moment that I'm convinced that there are some Christians, maybe even many Christians, who would rather avoid a one-minute awkward conversation than see someone they know separated from God forever. Think with me just for a minute how insane that is. That's one reason that I, I detest, man, I detest some of these goofy quotes and memes that get shares on social media by, by Christians and look, if you, if you shared this, please don't like, take offense to this. But, but listen, there, there's all kinds of stuff out there, junk out there. And this is one of the most popular ones I see all the time. You've probably heard it. Maybe you've even shared it. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. That's like me saying, let me get your phone number. If necessary, use digits. Now, look, I, I, get the point. I get the point of the quote, right? We, we ought to be living out our faith in a tangible way. But listen to me. I want you to hear this. The gospel necessitates us opening our mouths like Paul did and actually pointing people to Jesus. And it may cost us. It sure as heck cost the apostle Paul. But I'm, just like, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if Paul were here with us this morning, he was standing on this stage, I have no doubt he would tell you all the beatings, all the years in prison, all the isolation, the abandonment was worth it a thousand times over because Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He is life. He is hope. He is joy. Let's finish up this in verse 15. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So here's what's, here's what's happening. Apparently there were those even in leadership in, in the church, the early church, who were jealous of Paul. And they saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to advance their own egos, and so they would likely say things like, hey, listen, Paul is in jail. Paul's in jail. He's probably gonna die in jail. Follow me. Invest in my ministry. God hasn't abandoned me like he's abandoned Paul. Now, I wanna pause there for a moment and say something I think that's important. Now, notice Paul doesn't say they were preaching a false gospel there, okay? He doesn't. Some have misused this uh, passage from the Apostle Paul to say that we should just embrace all false teachers and all false gospels as long as they use the name of Jesus. Paul, Paul absolutely rips those guys apart in the book of Galatians, which we studied uh, last summer and other writings of his. Paul, Paul is not saying here that heresy is okay. Like I, I'm convinced that, it, that if Paul were alive today, he would have called out false gospels in our day as he did relentlessly in his day. I think he would have absolutely teed off, for instance, on the prosperity gospel, which, by the way, is a false gospel. 
He is not saying that false teachers preaching false gospels are okay as long as they sprinkle some Jesus dust on their sermons. Church, I'm just saying this. Let this be a, a warning for us. Not everyone who claims the name of Jesus is preaching the message of Jesus. It's important for us to develop discernment in who we listen to and who we follow. There are a lot of people out there with charismatic personalities that are preaching a hollow and half gospel, which is no gospel at all. Friend, be careful. Here, Paul is simply saying, these guys are preaching the message of Jesus accurately, but with the wrong motivation. There's selfish ambition there. And what's Paul's response to being slandered, to being lied about, to having his reputation murdered on the street? Was Paul mad? Was his pride hurt? No. Paul goes, listen, listen, if they're preaching Jesus accurately, if they are advancing the kingdom, I don't give a rip about my reputation. Let them talk. Let them talk. I will sleep like a baby tonight in my chains because my identity is in Christ and in nothing else. He is my life. He is my hope. He is my joy. Rip me up. I don't care. As long as you're exalting Jesus, bring it on. And so that's the last truth this morning. I think this is what the Apostle Paul would say to us. Believer, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Listen, the only thing that matters in the end is the stuff that will matter 10,000 years from now. And so the next time you're tempted to get all worked up into a soapy lather about something, just ask yourself, will this matter 10,000 years from now? If the answer is no, then don't care. It doesn't matter. So the next time your spouse gets upset at you, just ask him, honey, will this matter 10,000 years from now? Maybe you ought to get out of your feelings and care about things that will last forever. Actually, that's, that's terrible advice. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. We can't handle the counseling load here that would, would come from that. The reality is the one thing, the only thing that will matter 10,000 years from now is what we do in the kingdom of Jesus, which will last forever. Listen, your reputation doesn't really matter. What others think of you yeah, that doesn't really matter either. How much money you make, how popular you are, none of that matters. Live for what matters. Live for Jesus and his kingdom. Leverage the good stuff in your life and the tough stuff in your life for his glory. And as you begin to do that, you will begin to discover the type of joy that is indestructible. And deep down, that's really what we're all chasing, indestructible joy. And we get that in Jesus, and we keep that in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you, you are good. Your ways are good, even when we don't always understand your ways. And like we sing here oftentimes, God, you, you are for us. You are not against us. And that's easy for us to say and that's easy for us to sing when everything is going really well and everything's very easy in our lives. But oftentimes it's much harder for us to cling to that truth 
in the middle of the trials and pains and suffering of life, God. So would you, right now, would you open up our eyes to the truth that you work all things, all things, the good and the tough, the painful, all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, show us that, that real joy is, is, is not found in an easy life of luxury and comfort, but indestructible joy, the type of joy that the Apostle Paul experienced under incredible pain and suffering, that that type of joy that cannot be taken away from us, that is found in knowing you and being known by you. As we live this great adventure on mission with you to see people reconciled to you through Jesus. Father, I pray for the person who may be here in this room, in this moment, who doesn't yet know you through Jesus, God. And my prayer for them would simply be that right now, today, even in this moment, that you would begin to open up their eyes. Father, that you would begin to work on their hearts, begin to soften, to tenderize their hearts. Father, help them, help them to see, help them to see the, the beauty and, and the glory of Jesus and begin to surrender their lives to you, even, even right now in this, in this moment, Father, so that they could find real life and real joy in you, God. We ask all of this in the name that we exalt above every other name, the name of your Son and our Savior, King Jesus. Amen.